Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome along or welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast, the only Italian football podcast bringing you into Italy and into the Serie A and this week Serie D stadiums every single week. Um, I am your host, Connor Clancy, and joining me as ever is Vito Doria. Vito, welcome along. Thank you, Connor. It's been a great weekend for Italian football, so. Yeah, more than happy to just uh, quickly get into it and uh, discuss all the latest action from round 14 of Serie A. It certainly has been quite a good week. Um, and, and, and that's just talking about Serie A. So, so we'll start where the weekend's action finished for now. Of course, Atalanta still do have to play Napoli on Monday night. But for now, we record on Sunday night. So this is all that we can talk about. Roma 2 Inter 2 is where we will start. And Vito, we've been critical of Keita Balde throughout the season, but his resurgence continued. He got another goal. It's now three and two games, though I'm not quite sure the goals against Frozenone count, given how they've performed at points this season. But um, it's looking up for him. I think this was the ideal time and place to show that he can score against decent sides. We were a bit dismissive last week about the double we scored against Frosinone because of their struggles and their inability to adapt to Serie A football. But to score against his former club's rivals, uh, I think um, that would make things worse from a Roma supporter's perspective. But from Inter's point of view, uh, it's good that he's finally contributing and that he's making an impact in attack because... As we've addressed in pods throughout previous years, it seemed that there was that reliance on Icardi. Now there are a few more options. And based on the last two games, it looks like Keita Balde could be one of those extra options going forward. You would hope so, because at Lazio he had his consistency problems as well. But he's one of those players that when he's good, he's he really is fantastic. But there are too many occasions where he just doesn't do it so I would like to see him continue his form I what I want to talk about for this game is the firstly the penalty that Roma were given that Kolarov scored because Marcelo Brozovic we give him some praise we give him some criticism on this podcast but what on earth was he thinking why bother sticking your arm out in that position it he could have taken it on his chest he could have stuck his head towards it was it just one of those where he reacted without actually thinking about it? Or, or has he made the decision to move his elbow there and to try and get away with that? Unfortunately, with Brozovic, he's a player that tends to react without thinking at times. And that what makes him frustratingly inconsistent. You don't have to be an inter-supporter to realise that. Brozovic, he's one of those guys, he can work hard, he can do something going forward, he can 
improved the team both defensively and offensively, but he does have those moments where he just has absolute brain fades and he hurts the team, which is a great shame for Inter and also for, you know, any team he plays for. I'm sure that's, uh, you know, when he plays for Croatia, I'm sure Croatian fans would feel the same way because I thought he was good at the World Cup, but if he has a bad game, you know, it doesn't matter if it's for Croatia or Inter, he's got to be more consistent and he's got to be a lot smarter because you can have the moments of the epic Brozo, but that penalty was an epic fail. <laughs> Not nicely put. But he's so frustrating, isn't he? Because when he's good, he's excellent. But he, he's one of those players that when he's bad, everything goes wrong for him. And it's just one of those. His, his head seems to just get away from him at times. And today was one of those occasions. It is a game that was kind of defined by penalties given and not given. Roma weren't given one for a foul by Danilo D'Ambrosio on Zaniolo, the youngster. And Francesco Totti spoke out after the game about this and he didn't hold back. He said, this cannot continue. It's an embarrassment. It's impossible. What was the VAR thinking? Where was he looking? There's no analysis to be made. The images speak for themselves. What do you make of this? The First, the incident and then Totti's comments. Well, of the incident itself, I think it should have been a penalty. I was surprised that Gianluca Rocchi didn't even go to VAR to even consider it because it was a reasonably clear trip by Ambrosio and Giallo Rossi fans should feel hardly done by this decision. As for Totti's comments, um, look, he does have a point about it. I think uh, in Italy, probably compared to some other countries, there might be a few inconsistencies. It's not like they call every penalty decision. Sometimes you get these decisions that just get waved on and I think it's best to double check just to be on the safe side so yeah I think uh, Totti has a right to be aggrieved about it at the same time sometimes depending on who you are you've got to be a bit more careful about your criticism of referees or bar because words can be twisted around it is strange right because Totti has never been one to, to hide his feelings even when he was a player he said some pretty out there things about Juventus getting decisions and things like that. But as an ambassador for Roma, you would think maybe he should learn to bite his tongue a little bit. I know as a player, he was quite passionate and he, he loved Roma and he, he showed that every single week. But now that he's moved upstairs, he, he probably needs to learn how to control what he says a little bit more because it, it is strange because, I don't know, VAR has largely done quite a good job and the referees have... Mm usually used it quite well. So, uh, look, mistakes happen every once in a while. But it wasn't all negative from Totti. He did speak about Zaniolo. And this is this is a kid who we have praised already this season on the pod. And, and Totti joined us, really. He said, he plays like a veteran. He's got strength, quality. He has everything to become a great player. But don't tell him I said this. I don't want to give him too much pressure. And then, of course, whoever had access to the FIF Twitter account today, went on to tag at AS Roma and just in case Zaniolo did miss those comments. Um, he probably didn't miss them there. Vito, do you want to just give him some more credit? Because he was absolutely fantastic tonight. Oh, definitely. Well, he was probably one of the best players, if not the best player. I saw on the FIF ratings that were compiled that he did get an 8 out of 10. So I think that was more than fair. Maybe maybe he needs a bit of work in terms of, say, getting to shooting positions or taking more shots. But I think his game in general, I think there's a lot to like about him. And even if immediately he's not going to be performing this well week in, week out, you can see why he's a highly touted youngster. And there's potential for him to do better going forward. I do think that he is a guy that Roma might be able to utilise and... The talent is there, so it does make you wonder why Inter, who were the team that sold him, actually got rid of him in the first place. But I suppose that's the difference between the two clubs. Inter don't really have that patience for the youngsters, despite producing a lot of them, whereas Roma, you know, okay, they've been expecting to get results or being near the top, but at the same time, uh, they haven't been able to win trophies. So 
I suppose they have that room to play a kid like Zanyol and give them a bit more time than what uh, Inter would have offered. Well, that does seem to be the model there at the moment, doesn't it? Especially with Di Francesco, to give these these younger guys who can move the ball about nicely their, their opportunities, which takes us to the comments. First, Casey Cordre said, if Atalanta can get points against Napoli, the table will be quite interesting. We will get to that later because it will be interesting basically from second down until 12th. And then Enzo Mizaraka, Enzo, it's nice to see you pop up in the comments. And it's fitting that you pop up in the comments when we're talking about promising young Italian players, you say Rudy Francesco and Roma. Um, Enzo says it was a disgraceful decision not to review VAR. Enzo, pop up again in the comments with your thoughts on Zaniolo. I'll be quite keen to hear your, your feelings on him as a player. He seems right up your street, if I, if I know you at all. Um, I, I want to talk about Patrick Schick. Okay, because it, it hasn't quite gone to plan for him since joining Roma from Sampdoria. And look, everybody knows that. That's not exactly big news. But what I thought was interesting that I read in the week was that Roma are already reportedly considering cutting their losses with him. And if not selling him next summer, they could look to let him leave on loan as early as January. The report, I think it was Corriere della Sport said, He's got the next four games, so now three plus tonight, to, to prove himself. And Roma being linked with Fabio Quagliarella, which, I don't know, Vito, Schick, he's not really been given a fair crack at the whip at Roma, has he? He's, he's had his chances, sure, but this is a kid who has shown immense ability while he was playing every single week from the start at Sampdoria. And now... He's struggling to make that step up, but surely patience is needed. Perhaps with him, I reckon patience can be afforded solely because when he came to the club, he was not well. He had those heart concerns. So fitness was a major issue with him. This season, he's been given a few chances in the last few weeks because of Jekko's poor Serie A form, but so far he hasn't been able to take it. Would uh, Roma be right to cut their losses? I personally don't think so because I still think the potential is there. So even if they do loan him out in January, hopefully it's just a simple six-month loan and that there's no, you know, contract or something in the clause to say that he can be purchased outright for Roma just yet because I think he just needs stability and confidence. Even if it's not at Roma... Maybe another Serie A club, one of the smaller teams, could just take him on loan, just give him the confidence, just give him the, the belief that he can regain his form because uh, I've ever since I saw him at Sump, I've never doubted his talent. I mean, sometimes he was just given a few minutes in games and he could just turn the game around. So um, I'm not going to say that what he did at Sump thought he was a fluke. I think it's too early to make that call and... I don't think uh, Roma should uh, make any rash decisions on Sheik. You would hope not. But you'd take him back at Samp in a heartbeat, surely, right? I would take him back, but I don't know if he'd be keen to return to us. So we'll just have to wait and see on that front. Plus, we've already got the throw on loan from Roma. So how many forwards would uh, Roma like to loan back, loan to us? So Yeah, well, I guess that's what there's a good relationship between the two clubs, right? And Defrel, excuse me, um, Defrel is doing quite well at Sampdoria, so maybe Roma could look at that and think, well, this is obviously a club that can get the best mm. out of our players. Maybe it's worth sending Schick back there to get him some more confidence. Uh, Badger mm. says Schick nearly gave him heart failure with that almost assist. Um, you're probably not alone there. But yeah, I, I don't know. Schick is a an immense talent. I would love to see him really shine there. And it's strange because the way Di Francesco plays and the way that Schick played while he was at Sampdoria, you would think that they're a perfect fit. So fingers crossed it is just that a little bit more time is needed. He needs to get back, whether it's fully fit, he needs to get his confidence back and, and he can go on to be the player that he looked like he was going to become. Okay, next up then is a game that I was at. So I was back at the Stadio Artemio Frankie where I expected bigger things than I got. Uh, Fiorentina fell 3-0 against Juventus and it's a strange game because Juve come away with a, what was 
a comfortable 3-0 win. But really, um, the Viola could, if not should, have won this game. Vito, what, what did you make of um, the game as a whole and the result? The result was perhaps the most predictable one you can come up with. And the only thing that surprised me was the fact that you were scored three instead of uh, stopping at two, albeit the third one came from a penalty. Fiorentina, though, they had possession, but I personally was not overly impressed with Fiorentina's efforts, and the form of Giovanni Simeone was a concern to the commentators when I was watching the game, and I think in general, I think quite a few people should be concerned with Simeone's form because he's usually a reliable forward, but you know, this time he's not really producing the goods. He's not finishing his chances. He's not as uh, determined or as uh, battling as he used as he usually does. So I think there needs to be something that to help him turn in, turn his form around. Whether it be getting dropped or perhaps Pioli needs to speak to him personally and see how he can turn his form around. Yeah, it is a concern. And Vito, can you remember the last time Giovanni Simeone scored? Was it against Sampdoria? Yeah, it, it was against Sampdoria. On the 19th of September, which for mm. a striker plays more or less every single minute every week is crazy. He's got, what is it, two Serie A goals this season? Maybe three? Two. He's, he scored against Kievo, which I'm not sure if that counts, in a 6-1 victory. And he got that goal against Sam. It is a concern because when he's on it, he's such an enjoyable player. He runs tirelessly. He never stops. He's perfect for that Fiorentina team. And he says himself that he gets goals because he runs more than everyone else. Fieri Capretta has said this to us on the podcast before, that he runs and he, he just makes defenders exhausted. But then the other side of that coin is that often he's too tired to finish the chances that he carves out for himself. But... He had the best chance of the game here. And I think it was still nil-nil when he had it. The ball came in low to Benassi and it, it popped up inside six yards. He must have been three yards out. And, and Simeone managed to miss the ball completely and it just went into the hands of Chesney. Um, I was sitting beside Adam Digby in the press box at the Frankie and we were speaking about it throughout the game at halftime and afterwards as well. I will insert the conversation that I had with Adam just at the end of this conversation after the game. But it, it does look, Federico Chiesa was quiet here. He started off okay and then was largely anonymous for the rest of the game, basically after Juventus took the lead half an hour in. And it's concerning because Fiorentina don't really have too many creative players. And do you think they're too reliant on Chiesa to create chances for them? I certainly think they are because Chiesa is a great talent, but he's still around 20, 21 years old. So I don't think you can put too much pressure on him. And it's up to the other players to really step up a level. There are guys like uh, Marco Piazza who are there. And I don't think he's impressed since joining Fiorentina from Juventus. Uh, Kevin Morales didn't play. And... Uh, even when he's come on for Fiorentina, I don't think he's been overly impressive. So he's another player that should improve considerably. And Valentin Eseric has been there since last season, but he hasn't been that great in the midfield. So there are quite a lot of players that really need to turn their form around, whether it be a confidence issue or they just got to get a kick up the backside whether you like it or not, and, you know, actually start performing instead of just being good on their day, show some consistency and show why they deserve a place because I did listen to that uh, interview you had with uh, Adam Digby and one uh, particular quote which people listening to the audio version of this pod will hear is that Fiorentina really do look like a mid-table side, that they do look promising, but where they are now is 12th place and this is probably a good reflection of them because the performances and the results don't really merit Europa League action at this point. No, they really don't. And what will concern Fiorentina is that there are so many other teams who will fancy their chances of finishing ahead of them this year. Atalanta included, Sassuolo maybe included. Who knows, possibly even Parma are in that list because the way they've been going lately. 
Fiorentina are a mid-table club, and when Adam said it, I, my eyes widened in the video. I was thinking, "Oh no, why have you why have you said that?" But he's right. You, you can't pick any holes in that argument. And I guess for you, those of you not watching on YouTube and just listening to the audio version from iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever else, you will hear me speaking to Adam now. Oh, hello, everybody, and welcome along to the Stadio Artemio Frankie. I'm Connor Clancy, and joining me is Adam Digby. Adam, thanks for taking the time to talk about the match. We've just seen Juventus quite handily take care of Fiorentina 3 0. And is it safe to say that the Viola were their own worst enemies here? Yeah, I think so. They made a lot of mistakes in defence and in midfield, and they made life easy for Juve and did pretty much the opposite of what um, Mr. Pioli said they should do yesterday in the press conference. Well, Giovanni Simeone is having an absolutely horrid time in front of goal I think even with the three goals that were scored he had the best chance of the game and somehow missed it just there he couldn't have asked for a better chance to break his duct no I mean he's gone a long time without a goal and the, the past few weeks you think he just needs one to just bounce up and, and, and let him score and, and that's exactly what he had today and he couldn't even score from that he he, he really is a player desperate for a goal and it, it, it's just not coming for him I think really probably needs a couple of games on the bench maybe for Terrio and just it's just something because it, 90 minutes after 90 minutes he's just he's just not scoring and he, it's just making his, his problems worse yeah, with every game that passes he seems less likely to score as well we were saying at half time that that is exactly the type of chance that a striker in his position wants but he somehow managed to overthink it in the split second <laughs> that it took to get to him after it bounced up off Benassi but from Juve's point of view no complaints really no, and, and even even better than usual, they managed to uh, they managed to rest Ronaldo the first time he's been substituted so far this season. Managed to take off uh, Mandzukic for Moises Keane. And just really easy, wasn't it? Just come here, difficult atmosphere, walk walk your way into a, a three 0 win because Fiorentina just helped you really. And in a, in a tense game like this, you can't ask for any better than that, really. It's crazy. You say a tense game, and it should have been a tense game. It, the first half hour was tense both teams were quite shaky they were sloppy they were wasteful they couldn't really string passes together along their back four but in the end it was as if they were playing Spal, Bologna Hellas Verona in previous seasons it was all the same yeah it was a, it, was, it was Fiorentina being the, the mid-table team that they are really wasn't it as much as you want to say it's a big club and they've got an amazing fan base but the gen- the actual team that they have is is very much a, a team that belongs where they are in the, in the middle of the table and the, in the current run where they can't score goals they've had a good defence but when that comes up against Dybala, Ronaldo, Bentancur it, it, it's just not good enough but, uh, at the highest, highest level and, and that got exposed today uh, Lastly, the, Allegri was saying in the build-up to this game that he wanted Dybala to be almost a wizard for Juventus and be their spellcaster behind the, the striker be it Ronaldo or Mandzukic what did you think of Dybala today? He, he, I think he was better than he has been I think still he's still nowhere near as good as he was last season and the season before but yeah he, he, he needs to grow into that role I think he's, he's all too often he's been stuck out on the right this season and, and today he was a bit more involved a, a little bit more influential but still didn't really do anything you couldn't really look back on the game and say oh he did this really well it, it was just another kind of middling performance from him he's, he's, he seems to be struggling more than probably anybody else at Juve at the moment yeah I'm glad you've said all the things that we've been saying on the podcast all season because we get in trouble for it but saying Juventus are hard to analyse they just do the same things they win they don't play that well but they still win and it's just more of the same today Adam I'll let you go for your dinner thanks for joining me thank you it's seven games without a win for them now and they've won just once in their last nine. As we said, they are just a mid-table side. You look at their midfield, they've got Jordan Veritu, who was asked to do everything, but he's been asked to do it from a position that doesn't allow him to actually do what he's being asked to do. He's playing so deep. And it's, it's a strange one. If he played where Gerson has been playing, kind of as the, the middleman between the midfield and that front, two, three, whatever it is, Maybe he could do a little bit more, but where he's playing, it's just not suiting him. They've got the boy Fernandez. Benassi's just not good enough for me. And they have, they've got what? Giovanni Simeone on his day, although not this season. Chiesa, Biragi, Milenkovic, and Lafont. And maybe other than that, 
their team is just bang average. Adam rightly said that their back five, okay, you can you can keep that and it's good. And then in front of that, it's basically just Chiesa this season. And do you think dipping into the window in January will would fix their problems or is this a, a deeper rooted issue? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm going to be blunt and say that I reckon it's a deeper-rooted issue. Uh, I really wonder if if the players that Pioli has at his disposal really suits the 4-3-3 formation that he uses, and even if he does change the formation significantly, I'm not sure if uh, all the players that are at his disposal now would be able to adapt to it because some players could benefit in one position, but then others in other positions would actually become worse. So, yeah, it's a bit of a tough one. And really, I think spending in January might only improve it just a little bit. It wouldn't be the panacea for all the problems. What I do believe, though, is maybe they might need another striker to back up Simeone because they had... Kuma Babaka for many years, but he's gone to Sassuolo. And there was a lot of trust put into Simeone to finally really take that next step up after two promising years, but this has been a bad one. So maybe in hindsight, it might have been bad to get rid of Babaka. Otherwise, they've got to find someone else who can replace Simeone straight away and actually start firing in some goals. Yeah, maybe... You do think Simeone might just need a, a bit of a break from the first team, but there isn't anyone to come in in his place really that's of the same level that they expect of Simeone. All right, moving quickly on, because we've spent quite a while on those two games. Uh, we'll go to Milan Parma now. Milan 1 2 1. And this is a big win for Catuso because Milan went 1 0 behind. Roberto Inglese scored an excellent header at the near post. I was quite impressed with that. And I, I love Bobby English, so it was nice to see him score again. But I want to start this conversation with Patrick Cutrone because he scored again, and this was this was an excellent goal. It, the technique he showed, he, he's such a good striker, and every time he scores goals, I just tell everyone around me how much I love this guy because he's an absolute delight to watch. And with Roberto Mancini looking for a number nine in his Italy setup, looking for someone who can just score the chances and find the space that seems like it doesn't exist. Surely, Patrick Cotrone is the guy to lead the line for Italy into the European Championship qualification. I reckon that uh, the other times he did not get caught up for the national team was really just because he wasn't fit enough to play in those games. Otherwise, I think he would cert this. It would this uh, current to do this side to a T. Uh, he's just such a natural goal scorer. And for someone who's just 20 years old, it, it's not just a case of showing maturity beyond his years, but 
he just seems to get in those positions and find that space so naturally. And the way he positions himself and takes those shots, like the one he scored against uh, Parma, I mean, it just seems so clean and effortless. It's not like it's a forced action or he's really got to think hard to do it. He just does these things with great ease. And I think with a bit of time in Mancini's 4-3-3 with uh, Italy, I think um, I think he can really benefit from the style of play, the game plan that they're using, and show people that Mancini's attacking philosophy is the way to go, not to go into this uh, conservative style that Italian football's been synonymous for for many years. Yeah, well, with with Chiesa and Lorenzo Insigne feeding him, he would have so many chances, and he just oh, absolutely, he's such a handful for defenders as well. He never stops. He's he's always looking for that extra half yard of space, and he more often than not he finds. It. And what I really love about Cotrone is he's a kid, right? So you would expect that playing at San Zero is intimidating enough. To miss a chance at the San Siro and to hear the disappointment around the stadium must be quite difficult to deal with. But it doesn't bother him. He just brushes himself off. And when he misses a chance, you think he's more likely to score next time. He's, his attitude is amazing. His work rate is excellent. And he, he's so, so good. And it's hard not to get excited when talking about him. Before we move on to Parma... Timu Bakayoko has had something of a resurgence of his own at Milan in recent weeks. And I know Dov was dismissive of it when I, I tried to play performance against Juve. But once again, Vito Bakayoko impressed and Gattuso was happy with him. Although I'm not quite sure I'd go as far as Gattuso's praise of him. He was saying that the biggest surprise with Bakayoko is seeing how he has improved in reading situations during the game. He says on a tactical level, he's surprised. He's completely brought in, bought in to the new things that he's been shown in the video sessions. It was also nice to see the appreciation from the fans as well. And he said that it felt like he was watching Marcel Desailly. And he even went as far as to say that maybe Bakayoko is a bit more technical than the man affectionately known as The Rock. What do you think of that? Has Gattuso gone a little bit too far in his praise of Bakayoko? Absolutely. Uh, I think praise is deserved, especially if someone like Bakioka has been able to turn around. But to compare him to Massa Desai, probably one of the best defensive midfielders and centre-backs in the last 20 to 30 years, that is a big call. And after the bad start Bakioka had at AC Milan and the shocking season he had at Chelsea, uh, I think that would be inviting pressure on him. And at AC Milan, you don't need any more pressure than you need. So I think Bakioko's just got to keep performing, be consistent. And with Lucas Billy being out for a long time, uh, they just need him to just uh, keep cool, calm and collected and keep playing well because now they're fourth during the Champions League spots. And if he's one of the guys that helps them keep that fourth spot, um, I think it would be a great confidence booster for both Bakayoko himself and the club in general. There's obviously a player there, right? Because we, we saw it at Monaco. Um, we, we didn't really see it at Chelsea and we've not seen it until now at Milan, but there is obviously some sort of talent that he has. So it would be great if, if he could get back to his best and maybe even stay permanently at the San Siro. I'm finished with Milan. We've spoken about them a lot this season. I want to talk about Roberto Inglese because I, I spoke about his goal and I think it was when, was it Torino Parma? Yeah, it was Torino Parma and Inglese scored a great goal there. And it was the day after, I think, Roberto Mancini had announced his Italy squad for the third international break of the season. And I wrote that it was just a case of bad timing. And if Inglese had been fit, all season, maybe it would have been him instead of Kevin Lasagna or Grifo who got the call-up. And Inglés is another who will surely be expecting a call-up come March and come the start of the European Championship qualification because he's a really good player. He shot at Kievo. He earned his move to Napoli, although he's not there now. He's out on Lona Palma. But I've seen quite a lot of them this year and they're a completely different team when Inglés plays. When he's not there, they miss him almost as much as they missed Giovinio, not quite, but almost. And he gives them so much. And I think if Cutrone is to be the number one 
striker going forward. And Glazer would offer something different. And he's quite a good defensive forward as well as being willing to make those runs into the channels that other players maybe don't want to do. But Roberto and Glazer, Vito, um, has he got a future in the Italian team? I think he does. Giampiero Ventura called him up maybe once or twice while he was at Chievo, but uh, Inglese did not get utilised at all. But at Parma, I think he's playing better and also I think he really suits the way Parma plays. Probably at Chievo, due to the cautious approach, I think he had to do a lot more and probably his offensive talents weren't utilised as well as they have been at Parma. I do believe that Parma Arbaroff with him as well because when Fabio Ceravolo plays, I just don't think he's good enough for Serie A. I think he's a Serie B striker at best, whereas Inglese, he does do the things that you've just touched on before. He does have the work ethic. He knows how to get in those um, positions. You know, He does the stuff for the team, but his finishing's actually been pretty good. So as long as he stays fit, and when you have uh, Gervinho beside you, that helps. And they've got other wingers too, Padma. So I think Chich, you know, they've got Chicharetti, Di Gaudio, Biabiani in the squad. So I think as the season progresses, if those wingers can fire as well, we'll probably see Inglese feature more in the goals instead of having to see him drop back and put pressure on opposition defenders from playing the ball out of defence. For sure. Uh, another thing about Inglese is he's a bloody nice guy. Maybe he's too nice. I, I do think sometimes he just needs to be that little bit more, have that little bit of extra nastiness in his play. And I don't know, to, to stick an elbow in someone's ribs every once in a while just to, to hurt an opposing defender. But I don't know, maybe that says more about me than, than Bobby English. We're not going to talk about Kievo 1, Lazio 1 because. Lazio fans correct us for not talking about them much, that much, but I'm sure they won't be too keen to hear us discuss them today. It, it was just kind of strange that they slipped up in a game that they would usually win against these smaller sides. Vita will go on to Sampdoria 4, Bologna 1. Quite a routine win, I guess, against a terrible side. Hmm. Uh, you could say it was a routine win, but I think when you've gone uh, winless in six games, you've just got to get your wins anywhere and... I think the last time we won was uh, against Atalanta in Bergamo. So, you know, I think we needed a confidence booster somewhere. And although we didn't put on a vintage performance, what made this win special was that Gaston Ramirez and Luca Caprari and, of course, Fabio Quagliarella had top games. And I think that was the difference, whereas Bologna did try to attack us, but the possession was meaningless, unimaginative and futile. So... I think at the end of the day, just the better quality of the sump attack shown through. And it was a really nice touch because Poyarella got two goals and he's managed to break two records as well. So yeah, he's one of their top goal scorers in Serie A now, right? Well, he's equal seventh for Sampdoria in all competitive matches. He... He bet Eddie Fermani, who was a striker in the 1950s, played for Sampdoria and Inter bit like Mauro Icardi and a few others who have made the, who have played for both clubs, so broke his record. Um, he's in cool with Giancarlo Salvi, who was uh, playing in the 1960s and uh, one of uh, Sampdoria's greats in what was a poor period for the club at the time. And in Serie A, he has beaten Roberto Pruzzo, the former Genoa and Roma striker. So uh, beating Pruzzo, who was a foreign striker in his era and played in what was a very... Defensive-minded era for Italian football, you know, uh, has surpassed someone who actually had some genuine qualities. So, you know, it's good that Quagliarella has been able to keep going like this after the things that have happened to his life with his off-field issues and his uh, knee injury. Absolutely. It's no secret that we love Fabio Quagliarella on this podcast, so it won't come as a surprise to anyone listening that we want to see him do well. I do think it's interesting that he's... There are these reports now that he, he might be off to a big club again. In a way, I'd love to see him get another chance at a big side because of how it went for him at Napoli and he never really got in at Juve. But on the other hand, it's working for him at Sam. Why ruin what he's got going now? He seems to have found himself a second home in Genova. So 
you you would hope to see him stay. We will move on to the other team from Liguria, Vito, as you're very happy to know. And despite going 1-0 up, Genoa despite to be their own worst enemies and threw away the one-goal lead to lose 2-1 away to Torino. Well, Romolo was very silly to make that challenge that got himself sent off. He raised his uh, foot high to get the ball off uh, Mate, and then the referee had uh, no doubts and he gave him a cut. So, yeah, Genoa, you know, they lost. And uh, Piontek missed an easy chance from about three, four metres. So he hit the post. So that was rather surprising considering his form this season. But uh, Torino got a much-needed win. Bellotti scored one, although it was from the penalty spot. And, and yeah, just good for Torino to get up to six, which is nice. But one uh, actually, one thing about Genoa, we've been praising Kuyame, right? and he managed to score, so that's a nice touch for them. But, yeah, the Granata, I think they just showed the better qualities anyway. And uh, I think sixth place is a very good position for them. And with the squad they have, they should be fighting for the Europa League anyway. And they absolutely are in contention for the Europa League. And despite a shaky enough start, this shows just how exciting those qualification places will be come the end of the season, potentially. Because Torino are now sixth on 21 points. Then come Roma, Sassuolo and Parma, all on 20. Sampdoria, 19. And Atalanta, Fiorentina on 18. So between 12th and 6th, there's only three points. And... That could change again, as we said on Monday evening with Atalanta welcoming Napoli to Bergamo. And it's it's an interesting little, um, well, quite a big race there for the Europa League places. And who knows, maybe one of those sides could push for a top four position as well. Would be a big jump for some of those teams to challenge for the top four. But when I look at those six teams there, a lot of those sides do good on their day. The problem is that they have inconsistent players or other types of inconsistencies that hold them from making that extra leap, you know. They miss that extra bit of quality that's going to really get them into Europe more convincingly. And even when they do qualify for Europe, yeah, they don't have the depth or the right mindset to sort of balance Serie A action and the Europa League or even the Champions League if they do go that high. So... I'm, I'm just happy to enjoy these kind of battles and these races. And, you know, those are some of the things that make Serie A appealing in its own way, despite the dour total battles or lack of total battles that we've seen lately. So it's always good to see teams punch above their weight. One team who we might have expected to punch a little bit higher this year, well, for me anyway, was Spal, because they did start so well faded away and they've drawn again this time 2-2 against Empoli it's got to be a disappointing result for the, the boys from Ferrara but Empoli you know we were optimistic somewhat hopeful of them before the season and then it just didn't quite work for them but are they finally finding their feet it seems that way uh, you know do wonder if they still would have turned the form around under Aurelio Andreazzoli, but since Beppe Iacchini has replaced him, they're probably more determined and more combative under Iacchini because that's what he expects from his teams. Uh, Iacchini's teams are usually known for the work ethic more than anything else and more or less on defensive solidarity. But what I've seen so far of Empoli under him is that he's added the work ethic and the determination, but he still managed to keep hold of the attacking aspects of their football. And, yeah, for some reason, they're managing to finish their chances a lot better too because uh, Antonino Laguman has improved in recent weeks. And even if uh, Francesco Caputo's not scoring, there are other contributors. And that Rade Krunic goal just before halftime, that was a sensational strike. So, you know, it goes to show that if you want to see some great goals, you don't necessarily have to watch the big teams, even, you know, the little guys. They might not do it with much consistency, but they have their moments, and moments like that, they're just great to watch. They absolutely are. Speaking of the little guys, the other two games didn't really give us that much excitement. Frozenoni and Cagliari played that one-all draw, while 
Sassuolo and Udinese threw up a, a scoreless draw at the Mape Stadium. And this is a game that I, I could have gone to, but I, I think I chose wisely by not going to it. And instead, Vito, I, I spent my birthday in Modena watching some Serie D. I saw Modena beat Reggio Audace 1-0 to tighten their grip on the top of Serie D's Girona D. And it, it was a really good game. The, the atmosphere was amazing. It's a derby there. and Everyone around this area hates people from Reggio Emilia. So that was a lot of fun. And yeah, I was quite surprised by the quality. You know, there, there were a few players who looked, who, who looked like amateur players, but th- there were some who were quite tidy. Um, it, it did finish 1-0, but I do think that the biggest thing I took away from this game was the atmosphere. It was unbelievable. The Modena fans were incredible from start to finish, and even the Reggio supporters as well. They, they were there in their numbers. It, it was really nice to be at a, a game from the fourth tier of Italian football and to have the stadium almost full. It was unbelievable. It's one of the better match-going experiences I've actually had here this year. And I didn't expect that to come from a Serie D game. My first time going to a game at the Alberto Braglia. And yeah, it was just a really nice experience. Really good experience. So if, if anyone is in or around Modena, I recommend trying to take in a game, especially this season with them sitting top of the league. And after everything those fans went through last season, it's it's nice to see. And hopefully they can start to climb back up the divisions in the coming seasons. Um, but Vito, I think that's it. You know, we, we've made it. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Season. Yeah, so yeah, good round. And yeah, we didn't touch upon it earlier when we were talking about Cotrone and Inglese, but... Uh, they did reveal the grips for Euro 2020, the qualifiers, that is. They did. Um, Vito, remind me, who did Italy get in their group? I can only remember four out of the five opponents. So there's Greece, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Armenia, and actually, there's another one I forgot. I think it was Liechtenstein. But anyway, well, just to touch upon the Greece game, though, uh, it might not mean much to the rest of the world, but for the diaspora in Australia, Greece versus Australia will be a big game. Um, this would be bragging rights for which community or diaspora can talk up the roots. But the groups, yeah, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Finland, Greece, Armenia and Liechtenstein are Italy's opponents. So. Are you the, am I the only one that thinks Italy won't top that group? They'll find a way to finish second or something, but they'll still get into the the European Championship? Well, at, well, at the moment, I think it would be a case of Italy finishing top, but scraping. Um, although Mancini's trying to you know, change the style of play of the national team, I think in true Italian style, they'll find a way to make it harder than what it really should be. That is what they do, isn't it? But hopefully, yeah. with Coutrone and all involved, they, they won't manage to do it. I forgot to mention, actually, from the Modena game today, uh, towards the end when it was, it seemed guaranteed that Modena had the, the points in the bag, they, their fans revealed a banner saying, what was it? Brave? Audace translates to like brave or bold or something from Italian. And the Modena banner said Audace in name, but never in reality. And the, the Reggio fans <laughs> It was, it was great. It was a beautiful moment. Really beautiful moment. But yeah, Vito, thank you as ever for joining me this week. And I will speak to you again next time. Nice. Sounds good. Glad to be on Perfect. again. Take care. And for the rest of you, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com, read our coverage from inside the stadiums, watch our videos, listen to our European podcasts, which reminds me actually, the last round of Champions League fixtures, we had someone at every single game in the press box. So, why go anywhere else for your Italian football news? And yeah, all right, that's it. Keep an eye on the website. Follow us on Twitter at Serie FFC, on Instagram at Forza Italian Football, and on Facebook at Forza Italian Football. And look at all of the writers up on their social media things as well. But until next time, all there is to say is ciao for now. Questa maglia sognavo da bambino Quando giocavo ancora col trenino Mio padre andava sempre al comunale C'era il Torino, Torino da sognare 
granata e una seconda pelle Portarla è come un viaggio tra le stelle Lo so cos'è la storia e la leggenda Giochiamo noi, la fiamma non si è spenta Sono il capitano, undici cuori tenuti per la mano, vincere sempre vincere con ardore, per il Torino, per il suo grande cuore. È un'emozione che sempre mi attanaglia, sono del toro e un grido mi accompagna, forza ragazzi vinciamo con onore, essere granato. Vuol dire fede e amore E ancora Thor E sempre Thor La Bardona canta tutta in cor E ancora Thor E sempre Thor Il Thor è grande A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.